This episode of Infrastructure Junkies is brought to you by our good friends at NRWRA. Check them out, nrwra.com. That's nrwra.com. This is Infrastructure Junkies. Welcome, Infrastructure Junkies, to your show. This is a podcast created by right-of-way professionals for right-of-way professionals. The Infrastructure Junkies podcast is the voice of the right-of-way industry, exploring eminent domain, right-of-way acquisition, and infrastructure development. Infrastructure Junkies, do you remember last season when we came back from our break in the middle of the summer, we kicked off with a juggernaut episode. It wound up being our most popular episode ever, the most downloaded episode ever, and it was called Revenge of the Appraisers. We got ourselves into that situation because the prior season, we had recorded an episode about appraiser methodology, but we didn't have any appraisers on the show. And we got a bunch of snarky emails and people complained about it. So we said, fine, if we can find some good appraisers, we'll put them on the show. And we did. And David Burgoyne and Brian O'Neill and Christina Thorison joined us for Revenge of the Appraisers. And man, was it a good show. It was so good that today is... The Phantom Menace, Critical Issues and Right-of-Way Appraisal. Also, uh, we got some new equipment. Can you tell? <laughs> You're going to hear so many sound effects. I, well, So David Burgoyne <laughs> and Brian O'Neill have agreed to join us again for another appraisal episode because they did such a great job. Brian, who's joining us from Idaho, is a native of Maryland, and for some reason he moved out west and he's been living in Boise, for the last 11 years, we're going to probably talk a little bit about that. He's got a BS from Towson University, and his BS is in interdisciplinary studies with a concentration in molecular biology. He's been a real property appraiser since 1995, and he and his partner David Burgoyne founded National Right-of-Way Review Appraisal five years ago. He has held certified general licenses in 11 states, and his practice is focused almost entirely on right-of-way work, which is one reason he's here, and he concentrates on review appraisal the last five years. He's married to Rachel Taylor, and as we told you last time, he's known his wife since they were 11 years old. That's a fun fact. That's adorable. We also have with us certified nerd David Burgoyne. David is a native of Ann Arbor, Michigan, he has a BA from Colgate University in New York State. He majored in astrophysics. Okay, guys. Uh, he was also captain of the college bowl team. That's his nerd qualification number one, in case you were wondering. He has uh, been a real estate appraiser for 37 years, maybe 38 now. I think you're at 38. Yeah. Currently or formerly licensed in over a dozen states. He's a principal and review appraiser for NRWRA, along with Brian. He has been an IRWA instructor since 1990 and was the Howard Armstrong Instructor of the Year for the entire association in 2015. He's an AQB certified USPAP instructor. He has appeared on Jeopardy as a contestant in October of 2003. That is nerd qualification number two. He was raised by wolves. What? Well, his parents met and married while at Michigan Law School. Oh, so okay. That is actually nerd qualification number three. Um, he's also a... P-A-D-I scuba diving instructor. And I don't know what P-A-D-I means, but it probably means like professional and diving instructor. I made that up. It means something. David will probably tell us. He's also a father of five and a grandfather of many. I think maybe four, five now. Is that correct, David? Five now, yeah. Awesome. And he's very happily married to the lovely Cynthia, who I've met. Welcome, guys. Thank you for being here. Thank you. 
Are y'all still mad at us? I mean, you were really mad at us after before you came for Revenge of the Appraisers. Did we smooth things over with that episode? You got to tell, you got to speak your part. We were not mad at you. We were amused that everyone else was mad at you. <laughs> there were people that well, actually we were surprised. mad at us. There were people that were we weren't surprised, but we weren't mad at you. Yeah. And we, were, I, we were happy to be able to set you straight. I, I, I want to <laughs> warn or alert our listeners that this is probably at times going to be a spirited discussion. We're very good friends with these guys. We work together. They have done, I've, my legal team has hired their company and they've performed well. So we've worked together professionally. We have gotten to know each other through the IRWA, and we respect one another a great deal. And so warn you listeners, we're going to speak our minds. A lot of you know how I feel about some appraisers. These guys can take it. So we're probably going to get some people with their feelings hurt today, but I know it won't be you two. Oh, boy. Okay. We ready to go? Let's go. All right. Let's start with something really basic, and I know that there are a fair number of appraisers who are listening to this episode, and this is going to be beneath them, but there's a large segment of the right-of-way industry that has heard about, quote-unquote, air quotes, review appraisals, but let's start with a brief discussion about review appraisals, what they are, and why they're performed. Brian, you want to take this one? Sure. Well, and by definition, it's the act or process of developing and communicating an opinion about the quality of another appraiser's work. So we look at, we get an appraisal report from some third party that's not, you know, we don't know who they are, or sometimes we don't. And then we have to assess the quality of their work. The, we look at the data collection, their analysis, opinions, conclusions, estimates of value. It's sometimes other things that are tailored for a specific client for specific purposes. But in essence, it's just delivering an opinion on the quality of another appraiser's work. I was going to ask you a question. You mentioned like sometimes you don't know, don't recognize the name. Sometimes you do. If you don't recognize the name, is that usually kind of indicative of maybe the product you're getting or the quality? Well, we do stuff all over the country. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll get you know, I know that I have queued up right now reports coming from people I've never seen before. You know, I look into them, you know, we discuss things before the projects start. We try to get to know each other because sure. it's a generally when we're doing right away, it's a collaborative process between the appraiser and the reviewer. But, you know, we see new people all the time. That's um, good. There, there's other, yeah. And there's circumstances now where I am in Boise, it's, we're growing very rapid. We're still mm-hmm. growing. We're not the same rate that we were in the spring of 22, but uh, we're still growing. There's a lot of projects going and there's a lot of need for appraisers. The agencies are looking outside the state, bringing in new guys, bringing in young guys from other disciplines of appraisal, not just right of way. And, you know, we're kind of working as an intermediary between the agencies and the appraisers to try to get them up to speed quickly. So, because there's so much work coming down the pike. Well, since we're talking about review of appraisals, what, but what if you do know the person whose appraisal you're reviewing, let's say Bobby Smith, and every year at the international conference, you and Bobby go and hang out at the bar for a night or two. And so you get an appraisal from Bobby and it sucks. Do people get hurt feelings? <laughs> I think, and maybe Brian differs, but, I honestly think that unless you have a person who is difficult and pedantic, that actually makes it easier 
because we'll, as we'll talk about later, the review process can have a lot of a kind of an inform an informal area in the beginning. You don't just get a final report necessarily and cut it to ribbons. You get a report, you call the appraiser up, you talk to them about some of the issues. You say, hey, you know, what about this? What about that? I'm concerned about certain things. And if it's an appraiser who you know and you mutually respect each other, that's actually easier unless you have somebody who's difficult than it is to do it with a stranger, I think. Now, Brian, maybe, I don't know, Brian, maybe since you agree with me or not, but I think that's maybe easier because, well, you know, there's a lot of appraisers I know at, at the Right-of-Way Association that I could talk to. And they would talk to me and they would respect my opinion. I respect theirs and we work it out. I think that's the majority of the circumstances. But there are cases where there's people that you simply just, you butt heads and you're, you're not going to agree. I mean, you know, appraisers are notorious for having differing opinions on things. What um, are you talking about? No. <laughs> well, I, right? Let's talk about the Uniform Act. I mean, what does the Uniform Act say about review appraisals? What do we, what, what, what's, what do we have to do according to the Uniform Act? Well, you know, the, the people always think about the Uniform Act having a lot to do with acquisition and relocation, but it has every bit as much to do uh, with appraisal as well. There's a lot of appraisal requirements in the Uniform Act and in 49 CFR 24, the regulations that, that enforce or, you know, enforce the Uniform Act. And there's a whole lot of requirements in terms of what the appraiser has to do or how many appraisers appraisals are necessary and various assignment conditions that need to be followed. And it requires review appraisals. It, one of the reasons I mean, why review appraisals are necessary, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is because the Uniform Act requires appraisals that are done for acquisition purposes that have any federal money involved, one penny of federal money, there has to be a review appraisal. Oh, and, okay. Okay. It's absolutely a requirement. If you do a waiver valuation, a review is not necessary. But for an appraisal itself, it's an absolute requirement. And if there's federal money involved in a project and they do appraisals and do acquisition without getting a review, they're in violation of the federal law. See, I didn't know that. Uh, you have already edu educated me. So, so you're going to review Bobby's appraisal. You're drinking Buddy Bobby. Let's call him drinking Buddy Bobby. You're sent his appraisal. Do you go behind him and perform a second appraisal yourself? Usually not. Usually you can do, USPAP allows an appraiser to separately value a property as part of your review appraisal. Mm -hmm. um, you have to follow certain additional standards, but you don't have to do a separate report. But most of the time, your contract says we're not going to do an appraisal or that if you do an appraisal within your review, it you said changes. Doo -doo. I knew you, you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> What's that? You said doo -doo. And I, when you did, I was like, Dave's going to call that out because he's a 14 year old. Sorry. <laughs> listen, man's body. Go ahead, David. <laughs> that was rude of me. <laughs> That's yeah, what you okay. get for coming I'll, on the show. I'll try to stop. I'll try to stop feeding you. Doo -doo, Dave. Thank you. Um, don't, yeah. don't fuel this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, Oh, oh, where was I? Oh, um, oh. Well, you, usually your contract says we're not doing an appraisal. Sometimes if you disagree with the value conclusion of the appraisal, sometimes the scope of the assignment and the fee for the scope of the assignment involves doing an appraisal 
if you disagree with the valuation and the appraisal, you do your own valuation with inside the scope of the review. It's less common than not doing one, but it can be done. And USPAP lays out very specific ways you can do that. But Brian, I mean, what, you'd probably do that, what, one in 50, one in 30 or something, maybe? Yeah. Something like that. One in 50, it's pretty rare. Well, that, yeah. that, that brings me to my next question, Brian. What if you're reviewing Drinking Buddy Bobby's appraisal and you find mistakes, like flat-out mistakes, then what happens? Yeah, that, that, it never happens. <laughs> <laughs> then the process isn't working. Because uh-huh. let me tell you what, Brian, I find mistakes I in drinking. Reports. I find problems in drinking Buddy Bobby's appraisals all the time when it gets to me, you know, when we're litigating the case. So I know you find mistakes. There, there's a cool thing in the Washington State DOT's manual, they kind of break things down into what they call major and minor deficiencies. So a minor deficiency is a typographic error, grammatical errors, maybe they transpose some numbers in an address or things that are immaterial to the valuation conclusion or the understanding of how the appraiser got to it. And generally, we ignore those. We, We tell, we check for them. We have a you know, we have we have a whole infrastructure in our company that goes through those and finds or attempts to find all of those things. But we rarely discuss that with the appraiser unless they want to. Some of them want that information from us and we give it to them. And then also, I should say that some clients want us to get that information, too, and we don't like those clients. But anyway, we also have that particular part of our company review our reports <laughs> for errors and typographical errors so that ours don't have them in it. So you've, and they're brutal. you've got internal. And, 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 and the department is brutal to us. They really are. You get the thing back from the head copy editor and you're, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. But that way we're putting out good reports because she does it to us too. So you've got yeah. internal QC built in your own company. Yes. Wow. Absolutely. I find it fascinating yeah. when you talk about like you're, when you do a review appraisal, you're not doing a separate appraisal, you're reviewing it. And with what I do in Relo, I, there are things that I can review, no problem. And then there's some things that like, in order to review it, I have to do it myself. And I'll give you an example. We do carve outs a lot when we're doing a replacement housing payment estimate. And it gets a little bit complicated. We can carve out like cost to cure and the value of your appurtenances and improvements. It gets complicated. And if I'm reviewing a carve out that somebody else has done, I have to just do the calculation myself and then see if I can't review it without just doing it. So that's interesting. I mean, I think that's a an interesting little tidbit that you can review an appraiser and appraisal and you're not actually doing another appraisal. You're just, that's, I don't know. I I don't think I'd really conceptualize that until this moment. Keep in mind is that we're not actually opining as to the value. We're opining as to the completeness, the accuracy, the Mm. adequacy, the relevance, the reasonableness. We're trying to say, is it a credible opinion? Ah. Is it supportable? And we make, not a, someone can have an opinion, believe it or not, that's credible and supportable that we don't agree with. Okay, okay? this is fascinating. Uh, we don't I mean like when we're talking about whatever you know politics or something. I mean, two people can have opinions; they both could be credible and supportable, but you don't have to agree with it. So we're not necessarily opining that we exactly agree with the opinion of value, but ah. that we agree that the report is complete and accurate and credible and supportable. Okay. Right? Right? All right. That's... Uh, we don't, we're not saying the valuation is credible and supportable, not that it's our opinion. 
Wow. So well, that's right. That's thing number two that I've learned in this podcast already. Right. Is and that kind of obviates the need for my next question. My next question is like when you're doing a review, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, if you disagree with the value, you don't worry about it. But what if you disagree with the methodology, Brian? Well, two things. There, before I was talking about minor deficiencies and typos and stuff that we may or may not address. There's then there's the converse, is major deficiencies, and that's what this this addresses. So a ma- major deficiency would be, you know, inappropriate application of larger parcel theory using, you know, a highest and best use determination that is com- just complete fiction right or you know not appropriately supported you know there's those kinds of appraisal issues that that we totally address we definitely deal with there's legal standards that are mad or not mad or you know the you know zoning all that kind of stuff that and those reports have to uh, abide by and we're required to make sure that they do things like is the property worth 10 bucks a foot or 12 bucks a foot as long as they're within range that's the appraiser's job. That's his. That's what he supports. If as long as it's reasonable, right? As long as it's supported, right? You know, and and I will say, and I should say this, and I'm sure most of the people that that are in the business know this, but a lot of people I find in general public are under the opinion that agencies are underpaying property owners. Yeah, I'll be flat out honest with you. I disagree with that. Oh gosh, me too. Uh, almost 100%. Me I mean, too. they pay I'm shocked. <laughs> the, they they tell you, give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Right. You know, if there's a range of values, they want it at the high end of the range, you know. Yep. You know. So this, yep. That's just an observation. I'm not clamoring for more work if from this, my lovely clients. If this episode were over right now, I'd be like, "Well, that was very valuable." I mean, I don't think I'd ever I thought you were given it the stamp of approval on the opinion. I really did. Yeah, David, well, well, you, you have one more comment, and then we're moving to our first fun segment. This has been okay. fun already. Keep in mind, a lot of times, a major deficiency, like Brian points out, an unsupported or inappropriate highest and best use, a inappropriate larger parcel issue, you know, selection of poor comparables or whatever, that does result in an unsupportable opinion, which in a sense we don't agree with, quote unquote, because it's not supported. But what, what Brian is saying is that we're not fly-specking the opinion saying it's 10 or 12. If you got there the right way, with an appropriate highest of issues, appropriate comparables, and analyzes them a little bit differently, that's fine. Right. But you do find when there is a major deficiency, it results in a value which is completely unsupportable. So in that sense, we disagree with it. But it's not a matter of degree. It's a matter of right versus wrong. So you can stay friends with drinking buddy Bobby just because you think it was worth 11 bucks a foot and he said it was worth 10. You don't have to have an Absolutely. argument at the bar. <laughs> well, to tell you the truth, $10 and $11 to an appraiser, it's the same number. Oh, don't say that out <laughs> loud. It isn't to me, David. It isn't to me. All right, all right. I, I, I'm talking about significant figures and rounding and right, stuff. Right, You know, I mean, 10 bucks, 11 bucks, whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. It's not 10 here. Yeah. All right, guess what, guys? It's time for Riddle Me This. Brian, you are up for our first bit. And we got nice. new music. 
Ooh, I like it. I, I do like too. it. All right. Okay. So, Brian, riddle me this is a bit in which we are going to ask you a question which you must answer. It's just that simple, but it's kind of a tough question. Okay. I'll, I will preface this by saying that Dave and I used to think that Nebraska was surely, certainly the most boring state. Yes. Right. And yes. then. We had to take a little trip to Omaha, and there's tons of stuff there. They've got the College World Series, Omaha Steaks, the Counting Crows wrote a song about it. They have corn, they have Mutual of Omaha Wild Kingdom, and they even have cheese curds, fried cheese curds. So, I mean, it's not like, you know, you think of Texas, and you're like, we got Dallas Cowboys and football and oil and gas and guns, you know? I live in Texas, so I can poke fun at my own state. So then we were thinking about where you hail from, Idaho. And we're like, Idaho, yeah, Idaho's great. They've got, there's the potpotatoes, and they have that, there's a, somebody has a blue football field. Yeah, and, and then it's a funny looking state. It's it got is. a weird shape. And then there's Boise, but there's no girlsy. Like, what the heck? So here is your riddle me this, Brian. What are three things about Idaho that you're proud of and that would make us want to go there? And you cannot say potatoes or blue football fields. No pressure. All right. That's two of the five. So the other three are, we've got, I mean, we have the city of Boise and the surrounding areas is a fabulous place to raise your kids. It's a, there's wonderful schools, public and private. There is, you know, we have our green belt is, goes on and on. And it also blends into the trails up into the foothills. So you can ride your mountain bikes. You can ride your mountain bike for hundreds of miles up in the foothills here. It's the outdoor activities is probably one of the big things in our area. We're also a booming technological center. We who have, knew? Um, I did not know this. Right. Yeah. Micron Technologies, who is who opened a place in Virginia, is based in Boise. It was one. I think one of the founders was potato magnate. I guess I can't say. You're that. not anyway. supposed to say potato. And, <laughs> and the tattoo. There you go. And, pajama. And the, and then, I mean, most of the stuff is outdoor stuff, the technology stuff, the education, the raising your kids, and uh, and the rivers. Oh. If, if you like to be out on the water, if you like to be fishing or kayaking, rafting, you know, I mean, my daughter's done a six-day rafting trip across the state of Idaho. I mean, people oh, wow. people come from all over the world to do that trip. It's a pretty special place. Well, thank you for telling there us that. There's some beautiful places. Sun Valley and Ketchum, Idaho, you know, or Hemingway, well lived and died i mean it is one of the most gorgeous places on the planet beautiful ski resort great outdoor stuff hiking restaurants sun valley is worth the trip by itself okay so should we go back to nebraska's the most boring state then oh, i don't want to offend some of our friends okay that <laughs> is interesting and enlightening and, and you won that you, you won the game you, of it, riddle me this i got you it did. right okay. you yeah. got it right yeah you got it right i have all right. Good job. Good job, Brian. Well done. So let's get back to business. Let's take any appraisals that don't involve right-of-way and put it aside. We don't care about that. Our listeners are in the right-of-way industry. What makes someone a qualified right-of-way appraiser? Or is every appraiser a qualified right-of-way appraiser? Me Sorry, did I do that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> I have one of those, too, Let's somewhere. You, you Do you? Well. Oh, that's a bad noise. All right. What, what, what do you think, guys? What makes someone a qualified right-of-way appraiser, or is every appraiser qualified to do right-of-way? It's closer to none than is every. 
Wow. I want to start by saying that, and you guys know this because you're infrastructure professionals as well, but the right-of-way appraisal business is very special and very different than run-of-the-mill appraisals for other purposes. There are a whole lot of things about it that are hardly ever addressed in other appraisals. We have a larger parcel issue, which we could probably do a whole episode on, although it might be a little technical and dry. I but think we should. Let's I do think it. We should. Well, the whole larger parcel issue is a big deal. You have all kinds of issues with, in a right-of-way, a partial taking appraisal, you have all kinds of circumstances that sort of don't normally and naturally exist. I mean, how often are you appraising an office building with half a parking lot? Well, you're not, except for when you have a road widening, you are, because they're taking half your parking lot. Plus, you have 60 different jurisdictions, 50 states and three or four territories and the federal government that all have different rules that deal with larger parcel differently and damages and compensable items differently. And so there, there are, to begin with, there are all these things about right-of-way appraisal that are special, that are unique, that an average appraisal appraiser, an easements is another example. Easements are very unusual. You, Dave, you as a lawyer, you know about how every single easement is different. So, so, I mean, you can have a guy who's been an appraiser for 30 years who's barely touched on any of these things. And he could be extremely well qualified and have professional designations, with the exception of the SRWA, because an SRWA appraiser is going to know some of this stuff, right. but who knows absolutely nothing about right-of-way appraisal. And if he's a 30-year appraiser with all kinds of professional designations, he thinks he knows everything, like we, most of us all think we know everything, and he doesn't. So... You know, the standard stuff like how many years you've got or what designations you have is pretty meaningless as to whether you're qualified. Huh. Well, Brian, when I introduced you, I said that you had been in, you focus almost entirely on right-of-way work, right? So what do you, what say ye? What are the key components of not just being qualified, Brian O'Neill, but a great right-of-way appraiser, whether you're a review appraiser or you're doing the actual acquisition appraisal? Yeah, I think it has more to do with your temperament, and it has to do with huh. your willingness to to question yourself and try to s solve the problem. I mean, every one of these, particularly when you're dealing with, you know, partial takes, really the focus, I guess, here. And, you, you know, you are looking, like Dave suggested, at a hypothetical situation, and you need to be able to think abstractly and try to write a cogent argument in support of, of your thesis. And it's, it, people need to be a little creative. And I know some people are going to say, well, wow, they're all, you know, the property owner guys are always creative. Yeah, they you are. Know? But I, I'll tell you, it's, I cut my teeth working on property owner side stuff. And it's, I think really helps you in your ability to look at these things from a, you know, all different kinds of perspectives. I mean, you have to look at the, you have to look at the problem from different angles and make sure that you've got it right. Because, frankly, a lot of the property owners that don't know what they are sitting on. And you know, if you're working for an agency, you need to think like a property owner, appraiser, or reviewer, and make sure that they're getting what's due them. And that takes creativity and experience and talent. So it's more than just experience or credentials. It's a mindset. David. There's two words that I add to the normal experience, education, 
you know, credentials. Creative is a good one, but the two words I use is flexibility. And I even use the word, and Dave, you'll like this and you'll laugh, imagination. Oh, God. Because that, now you're wearing your landowner appraiser. I'm not saying you're making stuff up. I'm saying you got to look at things differently. You got to think how both sides would think about it. And you have to be flexible. And because you find yourself doing appraisals and reviews of appraisals that are situations which are almost unique. So I know the word imagination probably has a negative connotation to it, but like imagine it's if true. this were really worth twelve million dollars. Yeah, imagine <laughs> now. How can we make it worth twelve million? Let's put that in our QC and our on our. You got legions of appraisers in back rooms. Hey, figure out how to make this worth twelve million dollars, Brian. You used a word. I wasn't expecting. Do you know what it means? No, of course I don't know okay. what words mean. I, you I used a word that I wasn't expecting, and that word is temperament. And you know what's amazing about that observation is that same description or that same quality really applies to any job within the right-of-way spectrum. To be in a right-of-way attorney, you have to have the right temperament. The agencies don't want me walking into a courtroom and acting like I'm a plaintiff's lawyer, you know, sensationalizing things. If you're a negotiator, you've got to have the right temperament. If you're a relo agent, you've got to have the right temperament for this. This industry isn't for everybody. And I just wanted to say, I thought that was an amazing observation. And I completely agree with you. All right. It's like, I saw a t-shirt the other day. It says, I had my patience tested. Yeah. I was negative. (laughs) Okay. That's what we're talking about. So guys... Since we're on the topic of being a good right-of-way appraiser, are there any what we might call barriers to being a good right-of-way appraiser? Like, are there obstacles or barriers, or can anybody do it who has the right temperament? Like, you got the good temperament, you too can be a right-of-way appraiser. Any thoughts on that? Well, that's a two-part answer to that. I mean, if we're talking about having the right mindset, which means being open-minded and flexible and having the right temperament and being willing to learn and being willing to understand that it's not the same way everything's done. We've got to do it correctly for infrastructure, which a lot of other appraisers aren't happy with. And that's a barrier to being a good one, but there are physical barriers or legal barriers as well. I mean, there's been issues with them really increasing the qualifications to get licensed and certified to the point where the appraisal foundation has been trying to back those down a little bit. You know, they, they, over the last decades, they were adding stuff like having to have college degrees, not necessarily in astrophysics or molecular biology, but having college degrees. Was that a little humble brag? <laughs> I was pumping up Brian's. Yeah. That's why oh. I said molecular biology. Actually, to my degrees in liberal arts with a concentration in physics, astronomy, does that sound more, down to earth. It all sounds way level. above my head and level of intelligence. I'm just, I'll just go ahead and give well, you that. No, one. You're a relocation specialist, so you understand stuff that nobody else understands. So <laughs> that I'm not may gonna, be true. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. But the other barrier, the other barrier, it besides getting properly licensed, and is in order to learn, you have to learn either by doing it and doing it wrong and being told how to do it right, or getting an apprenticeship to come work for an appraiser who understands it, that it's not easy to get the resources. I mean, you know, some people are realize that they should be taking courses from the right-of-way association, which is obviously one of the best resources out there to learn this kind of stuff. The average person 
has trouble breaking into the field, despite the fact that I'm sure we're going to talk about this later, that there's a horrible dearth of qualified appraisers to do right away work. Sure is. It's a huge problem. Yeah. And it requires, you know, it requires lazy, but mostly what it requires is somebody who's flexible enough and has the opportunity to learn from people who know how to do it and get the experience. Yeah. I want to make an observation here. And I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but we have our own internal, my legal team has its own internal QC. We get an appraisal, whether it's from our own appraiser, agency appraiser, or landowner appraiser. And we have a process we call the teardown where we take that appraisal and we try to find every single flaw in it with a fresh set of eyes from a legal perspective. And I have identified myself two incredible barriers to being a good right-of-way appraiser. I will say for the listeners, this does not apply to Brian. This does not apply to David. And I've worked with both of these gentlemen extensively, but I see this too much. And those two barriers are laziness and hubris. Sometimes appraisers get into doing right-of-way work. And as, as David says, there's a dearth of good right-of-way appraisers, so they have plenty of work. And we'll tear down their appraisal and we'll say, what, what is this? Well, you know, okay, sorry, I just, no, no, don't screw this up. Now you've got to go back and fix it, and we have to disclose your mistake. But I see too much laziness, too much hubris from appraisers. And I know you guys have a comment about that. Well, they kind of go hand in hand, don't they? Yeah. You know, it's the it's the excessive sense of self, and we run into it. I mean, that's there's no doubt about it. I mean, they have a, what's the term that they use, David? Ipsy Dixit or something like that? It is yeah. because of, I say it is or something like that. Right. Ipsy Dixit is the logical fallacy says that it's true because they say it's true. Right. Right. And a lot of appraisers think that's a legitimate argument. Right. Yeah. You, you hear arguments like, oh, well, I've been doing it that way for 30 years. I'm like. <laughs> yeah. You've been doing it wrong for 30 years. Great. Good for you. You know, I, I mean, let's, tomorrow's a new day. Let's refocus our energy. You know, it's, yeah, well, it's, what, it's, Brian it's, saying, what Brian's saying is that the personality that makes somebody a good appraiser, one of the appraisers, is by definition that their people have hubris and they're arrogant. And, right? I mean, it's, and you're kind in saying, tell us that we don't have those things, but I know you're lying to well, us. Well, no, I, I don't Why? think there's not a thing wrong with having. Ooh, ooh, tons of confidence. There's not a thing wrong with that. And I don't mind a touch of arrogance, but when you have more than a touch of arrogance and you're lazy and a, a lawyer who's not trained in appraisal methodology is finding major mistakes, I'll be frank, that ticks me off. Well, arrogance, arrogance. if you have an, an, a kick-ass appraiser and you get all these reports and there's not a mistake in it and they're arrogant, it's like, yeah, dude, I would be too. It's when somebody's arrogant and also not worthy of their own arrogance. I'll tell you, <laughs> that's a good one. I will tell you guys a funny story. I, Kristen and I constantly talk about right-of-way issues, both for the podcast and outside of the podcast. And one day I was just going off on appraisers. I had gotten some bad product back in some big cases and I was going off and I'm like, those sons of guns, they're arrogant and they think they know everything and they think they're the boss of the world and blah, blah. And I went on and on. She looks at me, she goes, Dave, you know, that's what everybody thinks about attorneys, right? Right. You know this. I'm like, no, they don't. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah, they, they do. And unlike a lot of appraisers, the attorneys don't deserve to have that attitude, right? Because 
<laughs> I will. Hey, let me also be clear with you guys. I'm not a fan of many, many, many members of my own profession. Just I think there's a it's replete with some bad qualities in person. Admit that. I, and I try to eschew those. Notice I'm using a lot of SAT words here. I try to avoid those qualities because my clients don't like it. Well, both of our professions, Dave, have a lot of difference in quality from the top to the bottom. There's no question. There's really competent, honest people with integrity, and there are incompetent people with no integrity. You know, there's a, it's, ours are both motley crews of professions, I think. Don't you agree? Motley crews of professions. Yes. You said motley crew. I don't yeah. think he means well, the band, right. but maybe I know. he does. We could, we could have a separate discussion on whether that band was really <laughs> as good as, you know, if they had a better lead singer, they might actually have been a better oh, yeah, band. So that what's was the first band I heard on a compact disc? The first Motley no Crue? Which yeah, album? Shout, 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 shout at the Devil. devil. Yeah, oh, you're boy. showing your age. I actually listened to that on a cassette tape. Shout at the Devil. And I listened to it on a wind-up Victrola. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Real to real. I listened to it live. Just you kidding. You did not. You've uh, never seen Motley Crue. All no, right. Of course Chris. not. Hi, Infrastructure Junkies. We sure hope you're enjoying this episode. We want to thank our generous sponsor, NRWRA, for making this episode possible. It's only through their support that we're able to keep bringing you new and improved episodes every other week. As a practicing attorney for over 30 years, I've worked with dozens of appraisers in all types of matters. David Burgoyne and Brian O'Neill at NRWRA are the cream of the crop. They have experience in right-of-way, and that's what we've been talking about on this show. They have right-of-way experience that is invaluable to your project. Almost as importantly, David Burgoyne brings to the table experience in testimony, testifying in depositions, testifying in trials many, many, many times, and even working with both sides. They'll help you match the best person on their team with the needs of your project. So say hi to David and say hi to Brian at IRWA events. Check them out at nrwra.com. That's nrwra.com. And thank you so much for your support. Hey, Infrastructure Junkies, we hope you're enjoying this show. Do us a favor, go to our brand new website, infrastructurejunkies.com. While you're there, sign up to be on our mailing list. That way you can stay up to date with what we've got going on. Also, you can follow us on all the socials. We're on LinkedIn, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, and we even have a TikTok. So go follow us there. And while you're there check out our exclusive content. If you subscribe, you will get access to our brand new weekly podcast called Infrastructure Junkies Unfiltered, where you never know what's going to come out of our mouths. In addition, you can get access to video footage of this podcast. So go check it out. Kristen, what we got? Well, next? since I'm over here being the only one who doesn't have a profession that everybody thinks I'm arrogant, I'm just a humble little reload agent. I'm going to do a game. Are y'all ready? Absolutely. All right. This time we are going to do over under push. I know you and our listeners are familiar with this, but let's just cover the rules again. I'm going to give you David Burgoyne three things. And you are going to tell me whether each of those things is overrated, underrated, or it's a push. It's kind of aptly rated. And we're going to be dealing with things that come from Michigan. Okay. Are you game? Are you in? Are you ready? Absolutely. Are you feeling confident? 
Yeah, I have all kinds of hubris. <laughs> Confident, arrogant, maybe? I don't know. Okay, are you about ready? Michigan, yeah. About Michigan, you, I am. Yeah. You should be, and you can be. Yes, we'll allow it. Yeah. All right, I'm going to tell you the three things first, and we'll go through them individually. Number one, okay. Michigan State. Number two, the Great Lakes. And number three, Eminem. And by the way, I don't know if I mentioned this, but at the end of you giving your opinions, we will let you know whether or not those opinions are correct. This is not a review appraisal. I will judge your opinions, okay? So let's go to okay. the beginning. Michigan State, what say ye? So is it underrated, overrated, or? It's a push. A push. Yeah. Aptly rated. Uh, okay. You probably know that I am a dyed-in-the-wool Wolverine fan. I Growing up in Ann Arbor and, you know, my, my blood is maize and blue. So, you know, Michigan State has always been the, you know, little brother, as we call them. I, but I have to admit, it's a, it is a fine institution. And it, the people who go to school there should be proud of it. And they have a lot of successes on all different sorts of levels. So um, it's definitely not overrated. It's either underrated or a push. But, okay. You're, um, you're off to a terrible start. Okay. Okay. Michigan State overrated. And yes, I'm biased. And yes, <clears throat> it's for <clears throat> this is my game. They that basketball team knocked my Virginia Cavaliers out of the ter basketball tournament twice. You are wearing when we were hot. a Texas Tech shirt yeah. who lost to the Virginia Cavaliers in the national championship this for bat. What is happening? This is over under push. Okay. Mute, mute yourself. Go ahead. Mute yourself. Go ahead. Well, let's not forget the 16 to 1. What was it? The Richmond Spiders? Or who was it who beat you guys when you David, were one seed, David, right? no. Something no, like no. That. We don't talk about that on this show. Was it Miami <laughs> in football? Yikes. Well, who was it? No. Kristen, get on with Baltimore it. Baltimore County or something? I'm, I'm getting pissed. Oh, <laughs> he is yeah, mad. Okay, David, this is my game, and you said uh, underrated or push. I have them as a push, so I'm going to give you a ding, 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 ding. You are correct on that answer. I'm sure there's a sound effect, but it might be scary. So you are correct okay. on Michigan State. Next, the Great Lakes. The Great Lakes are absolutely underrated. They are amazing, and people don't realize how amazing they are they are they're not lakes they're freshwater inland seas yep you know you can surf on and there's no salt and no sharks and beautiful sunsets and sandy beaches and you know we have 20 percent of the world's supply of fresh water and you there's no way that you can't that there's no way you could overrate them. massively underrated they are amazing they're an asset that makes our state special and you cannot underestimate how important they are. Okay. Yes. I'm sold. You're yeah. right. No jellyfish, no jellyfish, no jelly, no sharks, no, no jellyfish. jellyfish. Sharks. Okay. No salt. Yeah. No, no pirates. I mean, <laughs> no, I don't even think there's any pirates. See? No. All right. Finally, Eminem. Eminem. That's the, that's the, the rapper, rapper, not, not the, the candy. candy. Wow. You always have a tendency to be proud of celebrity singer types from your state. I wouldn't rate Eminem as the top one, in my opinion. I think more highly of, for the, example... the top one is Kid Rock. No, the top one, He's in my mind... He's got all of Motown Bob, to choose from. Bob Seger. Bob Seger. And then, yeah, you got yeah. all the Motown. You yep. got, you know, the Marvelettes. And you got, you know, Aretha Franklin and all that kind of stuff. Oh. He's... I know. I'm not a huge rapper fan, so I'm going to say he's overrated. Well, I'm sorry, no. David, but mm -hmm. you are absolutely wrong on that. He's underrated. <laughs> he is, in fact, 
and this is a fact from my opinion, he is the greatest rapper of all time. He is. And he's tremendously underrated. He's and his a- new album has a song on it where he raps so fast that it makes my brain explode. I can't imagine that he actually did that. It's incredible. Slim so. Shady is a national treasure, and that's a fact. Thank you, Marshall Mathers. I'm sure he's listening. Yeah. Thanks for your music, dude. Okay. Anyway, you're two for three. Not bad. I don't know if you would have passed if it were a test, but you did great. Thank you for participating. Maybe it's my advanced age that makes me not... I see. I think my favorite rapper ever probably was rappers before they called it rappers. My, my favorite gum rappers. My favorite rappers was when they still called it hip hop or like Run DMC. Oh yeah, you know? raising hell. So yeah, hey, you know, do you know who the very first artist to have a rap line in a song that reached number one was? Sugar Hill you know? Gang, Rappers no. Delight. Uh uh-uh. uh What? It, it, it's Blondie because she does that rap Rapture. line in the middle of Rapture. Yeah. Oh my very, gosh. Yeah. My. That's the truth. So my, Debbie Harry invented rap. My kid loves that was Blondie. Number one song. That's amazing. So okay, Rapture was a number one song, sure. I would like to turn this conversation briefly towards appraisal costs. I will tell you from where I sit, it seems that the consultants want the cheapest and the fastest appraisers on their team because they aren't. They're not the ones who's left with a crappy appraisal when we have to go to trial. But I will say we we have another subscription podcast called Infrastructure Junkies Unfiltered, and we had Christina Thorson, your friend and mine, who's a amazing appraiser on that episode, and she made a fascinating observation to me. She said, I am expensive, referring to herself. She says, I am expensive. And I thought, huh, that is just refreshingly honest. And David, you've said the same thing about yourself, but her observation was the agencies don't mind that so much because they they don't mind paying for it for quality. Who has a problem with it is landowners because if she charges five, six, seven thousand dollars for an appraisal and she's not going to inflate the value and she does an honest job and it's not above the agency's appraisal, then they've wasted five or six or seven thousand dollars. So what about cost in all this process. I feel one way about it. I'm tired of consultants hiring the cheapest appraiser to do acquisitions. I'm tired of it. It leaves us with a crappy product. And then our agency doesn't want to pay for a new appraiser. They just want to go to trial with the crappy appraiser. Thoughts? You know, you get what you're paid for. You sure and do. You don't, you don't hire your heart surgeon based on him being the cheapest. Uh, <laughs> so you shouldn't, hire, you shouldn't hire your appraiser for that reason either. But I know what you're saying about the property owners. I, I'm not finding that the agencies, I mean, they're always a little cost conscious, but they do appreciate getting it done right. And they're willing to, usually they're willing to pay for it. And nowadays with the shortage of appraisers, they don't have a lot of choice. But with the landowners, I got two observations about that that are a little bit different. The first one is that there are a number of states, and it's not just a handful, where there is some degree of, landowner appraisal fee reimbursement along the idea that a property owner didn't ask for the condemning agency to come along and take their property and therefore they shouldn't have to pay out of pocket for their costs to just to support them getting just compensation i like like i know in indiana and wisconsin there's some reimbursement there's full reimbursement in michigan there's reimbursement in florida where the landowner gets his appraisal fees reimbursed by the condemning agency. Now, the condemning agencies maybe don't like that, but it's kind of fair because if somebody comes along and says, I'm going to take your property, you know, and I end up getting $200,000 for my property, 
should I really end up with 185 because I had to pay my appraiser 15 grand? You know, so, so that problem isn't the same in, in fact, you might have the opposite problem because if you're getting your fee reimbursed, kind of like, well, I can charge whatever I want. If you don't have she's going to pay me back. But there's that, you know. The other thing too is that appraisers should not do that. They shouldn't say, I'm going to charge you $8,000. Go ahead and complete an appraisal that says there's no difference in the number. What they should do is halfway through their job, they should call up the landowner or the landowner's attorney and say, you know, I'm not going to be able to help you. My number's yes. not going to be any different. And they should pull the plug. Yep. Yeah. And, and then you can charge half the fee. That, you got to still charge it for your work. But I do that all the time. That, that, you pull the plug. You know, okay, I got a contract. I'll just do it and charge them and I won't help them. I right. Mean, Great observation, and in fairness, I want to say Christina said the exact same thing. Exact I, don't, same I don't want thing. to make give the impression that she does exactly what you're describing. In that she'll say, "Well, I'm getting eight grand. I'm going to complete the appraisal." She said that she'll pull the plug. So that yeah. is a really good and fair observation. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between consulting experts and testifying experts. From our perspective, David, we've called you up and consulted with you about things. And I want to say something. The IRWA offers a number of different courses, and some are better than others, and their legal courses are in Section 800. Some are better than others. But any appraiser who even thinks about wanting to become an expert, whether it's a consulting expert or a testifying expert, should take IRWA Course 804. It's only one day. I've taught it before. It is a great course for anybody who wants to do right-of-way appraisals. It's so, called skills of expert testimony, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's so, really good, especially if you have a great instructor like me, then it's really, really, really good. Arrogant. Hey. Well, I actually had to teach that class too, Dave. You, you can't teach 804. you got to be an attorney. No, that didn't used to be the case. Oh, that's it true. Used to be, he, taught, he taught me. 804? It used to be, and, and in fact, they still let, they'll still let me teach 804 if I have an attorney come on as a guest or something, but it, it used to be a communications I, class. It used to be two thirteen. Really? Yeah. Okay. yeah. But whatever it is, I teach that class and maybe it's from a different perspective because I'm the actual witness and not the attorney, but, yeah. but I could, yeah. I'll tell you, that's a, that's another really good observation is I definitely teach it from an attorney's perspective. And here's one thing, gosh, too many appraisers can't get through a thick skull. And we've talked about it on the show is if you're late, we lose. And so I will beat that home in that course. We generally have a scheduling order, and we have deadlines to disclose your opinions. And if you are late getting those opinions to me, we lose the case. And I've had appraisers call me up and say, hey, go ahead and get an extension on when you're going to disclose. And I say, I can't. It's a court order. I got to go to the judge to get permission to do that. And we don't have time to get before the judge. Yeah. Thoughts on that? Well, you know, we talked before about barriers. And, you know, actually, to tell you the truth, a lot of appraisers are loath to do litigation work or right-of-way work because they don't want to have to testify. I know appraisers that don't want to testify, and they'll avoid doing work that results in testimony. And the problem with all infrastructure work, all right-of-way acquisition work, is it potentially results in the need to testify. And a lot of appraisers don't want to go there because, you know, it takes a special set of skills, you know, like Liam Neeson, I have certain skills to, to testify. 
And a lot of people don't have those skills or they don't thrive on the stress the way maybe I do. Yeah. Because I do. Because I love testifying. You're, but, a sick, uh, you're a sick individual. You know, I've testified in open court like 120 times. And you're still life. here. And to I've been deposed like 500 times. I've been deposed like 500 times. That's crazy. So, yeah. da- David, I think you brought your own set of trivia to the show, which, which because you're such a great partner with us, we're going to let you do this. You're the only we're guest you bring that gets your to bring own trivia. Yeah. That gets to bring a bit. You're the only one. Thank you. Yes. Well, I had fun last time because we did the trivia about movies and music and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. And next time we do this, I'm going to have to target this towards you, Kristen, because I got another one that's targeted to Dave. Oh, um, good. I'm going to just sit back and be entertained. Let's go. Well. So this is another subject that's near and dear to Dave's heart, but it's a mystery subject. He'll figure out pretty quickly what the subject matter is, but I'm not telling him up front, okay? You nervous? I got four trivia questions here for you, okay? No. If you can get them. Yeah. The first ones. There are hundreds of species in the family Astridae. What are these creatures all commonly called? I don't know. Hundreds of species in the family Astridae. What are these creatures all commonly called? Snakes. Oysters. Ah, oh, no Dang way. It. Oh, I got it. Are you you humiliated me on my own show. Yep. Uh, and listeners, you know that we all love oysters. When we recorded the first, when we recorded the first Revenge of the Appraisers episode, David actually <laughs> flew to Virginia Beach. And then we all went out with Christina, and we all went out and had oysters afterwards. Christina so that's treated the us to dozens and dozens of oysters. And they were delicious. Thank you, Christina. Great yeah. question, David. Thank you for bringing that. I love oysters, too. So, so now you know the mystery theme. So I have three more questions about that. Okay. All right. Originally invented in New Orleans, French Quarter, these oysters are baked in their shells with breadcrumbs, grated cheese, onions, mushrooms, shrimp, wine, and a buttery roux. The oysters are baked until lightly browned and served immediately, preferably garnished with chopped green onions and lemon wedges. What is this famous dish served both at Antoine's and Arnaud's restaurants called? That would be Oysters Rockefeller. False. It's actually Oysters Bienville. Oh. I actually knew that. Well, <laughs> you didn't know that? So that wasn't an unfair question? No. That was I, a great question. Yeah, I just wish I'm, I could have answered it. I'm not a fan of, of the big You, you can answer it. Because remember when Dave didn't get a couple oh. last time, we'll answer them. See? Okay. All right. All right. What's, like, what's we're going to give, give David's 0 for 2 and Krista's 1 for 1. Yes. Okay. Number three. Everyone knows Blue Oyster Cult's biggest hit, The Reaper. Don't fear The but Reaper. But what is the name of their last hit that reached in the top 40 on the Billboard charts in 1981. I so did. everyone knows our biggest hit, The Reaper, or Don't, don't Fear the Reaper. But what was the name of Blue Oyster Cult's last oh. hit oh. reaching the top 40 in 1981? Oh. See, I got music and oysters in the same question. You, you knew I was 14 then, that right? That was pretty good, actually. So, God, I can picture the song because they were, picture song? <laughs> they were coming in concert. They were coming in concert, and it was... they. It was part of the ad to go buy tickets to see them at Scope or wherever. I give up. I You're going to say it. Kristen, I'm going to know you it. Know? I have literally no clue She whatsoever. was three when it came out. Three. Uh, Brian, did I give you the answers? Do you know the answer? Is it Godzilla? No. It's burning for you. Bur- I'm, oh, burning, I'm burning, I'm burning, I'm burning, I'm burning for, for you. you. Yeah. Godzilla? 
interestingly enough, is the name of that Eminem song where he raps really fast. So good pull, Brian, bringing it all home. Good job. <laughs> Are okay. you? All right. Is that the end of my misery no. here? I'm embarrassing. One more. One more. Oh for three. I knew Bernard. This one you're going to get. What is the name of the Lewis Carroll poem that was published in December of 1871 within the book Alice Through the Looking Glass that ends with all of the oysters being eaten after taking a walk on the beach? I'm going to let Kristen answer this one. I don't know. <laughs> Did, um, did you say December? December of 1871. Clear. Is that yeah, what's going to get you the answer? Oh. Was it September? I knew the one from October. Lewis Carroll poem published in December 1871 within the book Alice Through the Looking Glass that ends with all of the oysters being eaten after taking a walk on the beach. No idea? No idea. It's called The Walrus and the Carpenter. Oh, I did know that. Of course. I did know that. They talk the oysters into taking a walk and they eat them all. Yeah. It's very funny. Yeah. All that right. that was lost somewhere in the back of my brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was nowhere okay. in, my, in the back of my brain. All right, guys. <laughs> we want to cover one more topic before we break. And we had a fantastic guest on the show earlier this season named Philip Sanchez. He came on to talk about the effects of EJA. That's the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. And we have discussed this on Infrastructure Junkies Unfiltered several times. But what about EJA? And we, as we discussed on Unfiltered, EJA, it appears, is already in trouble. Like we don't have enough resources in too many phases of right-of-way to meet the amount of money that's going to be thrown at the industry. What about EJA and the appraisal industry? Just at our fall forum, I don't know when this is going to be broadcast, but in, in the fall forum in Boise in October of 2022, the heads of a couple of major, you know, ITD and Ada County Highway Department were both pleading with us to come to, to get appraisers. They're swamped. They're having, we're probably going to have maybe two and a half to three and a half times the number of appraisals this year scheduled and it's just you know they don't know what to do i mean we're trying to get people from all over to come do them the problem is the places where those people are coming from are really busy too it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out i think what's going to happen is some of these appraisers that well i don't know what's going to happen with them i don't want to speculate on that but it's going to be tough and it's going to be a burden i mean we do review and it's going to be a huge burden on us because i know we're going to be getting unqualified people coming through and we're going to have to deal with it and you know i mean that's okay that's what we do that's our job but it's a lot easier reviewing people that know what they do you know not to (laughs) not to be lazy not to be lazy but you know it's going to be tough so well and it feels like to me you don't become a great right-of-way appraiser in short in short order, right? To even just get all the designations that you need and the training that you need takes years and years. And I don't know that we are filling that pipeline as rapidly as we need to. And the same is true for relocation. I feel like a lot of us in this industry are aging out. And we talk about this all the time. And we never seem to pop into the exact solution because it's just, it's, I, I don't know. There are a small group of appraisers that really understand right-of-way work. There's some that are okay. There are some that think they understand it that don't, and there's a whole bunch that don't understand it at all. There's a huge dearth, and a lot of the appraisers that really understand it are old. 
or older. I mean, you know, I showed up at an inspection with a new 38-year-old trainee, and I got a lawyer who never smiles to smile because he's younger than I am, and he's been worried forever that there's not going to be enough appraisers. And, I mean, there's this huge problem with the number of appraisers. There's like literally a fifth of the number of appraisers that we need in order to take care of the infrastructure with that, with the act, with EJA and with all that needs to be done. And it's a problem everywhere. You can't learn to be a right of appraiser overnight either. I, something has to be done I and mean, we have to recruit people. The right of way association has to just be, you know, we, we gotta be pounding the drum and getting people to come take right away appraisal classes because I mean, there's literally everywhere you go, there's a huge shortage and there's the problem of having people who try to do it who don't understand it. Right. I mean, they do, they do. And our job is review appraisers that catches, but they do the simplest, silly little things. Dave, you're a lawyer. You know that you do an appraisal for infrastructure for right away in a given state. You're supposed to use the definitions that are established usually by case law in the state, right? Right. Yep. Yep. Well, I mean, you get appraisals from big appraisal firms in big cities that go two states over to do work. And they're not using the proper Michigan or Indiana definition. They're using the definition out of the appraisal of real estate book. And any lawyer with a half a brain. Which there aren't know, many. There aren't many of those. Most of them have less than that. Yeah. That's well, right. I mean, he's going to file a motion and say this appraisal should be thrown out. It's, it's not responsive. You know, it doesn't have the right definitions in it. And maybe it'll get thrown out. But you get simple stuff like that going on all the time. You get these big firms, that, I won't name any of them, that think they could do it and they don't, they don't know how to do it. Brian, this makes me really nervous. And you said, Hey, it's okay. We'll train them, but there's going to be such a demand for appraisers. We're going to, I'm afraid we're going to have to accept a lower quality product. Are you afraid of that? And that makes my job tough. You can't win with a crappy appraiser. That makes everybody's job tough. That makes my job tough. That's yeah. true. Cause it, in it's some ways, it's a starting point for everything. It, and it, the appraisal trickles down through relocation all the way to the very end, which is the lawyers, which is if you got to try the case. And you may say that's okay. It terrifies me, Brian. What do you think? Well, it's it should never get to you if it's, if it's such a low-quality report. I mean, that's our job is to assess the quality of the work. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of new review appraisers too. And like Kristen said, it's hard to get the experience. First of all, it's hard to get the experience at all. But once you get in the pipeline, even if you're doing right away work, you know, for months and years, years, you know, I see problems that I've never seen before. And I've been doing this for 27 years. You know, I mean, it's just a new problem that you've never considered before. And you have to have the tools to be able to deal with it. And, you know, it's going to be tough. It really is. I think more, more likely what's going to happen is there's going to be I mean, I think you're right. I think there are going to be some low quality prop reports that get through. I, I think that's inevitable. But I also think that there's going to be delays and, you know, projects just not happening. I think that's, yep. I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, that, that might be, maybe there, maybe this is just a built-in natural, you know, pressure relief valve that, that we're doing too much too fast. And, yeah, and I think we are. Who knows? That's a different philosophical question. But you're right. There is going to be some, it's inevitable that there's going to be some poor reports getting through and mm -hmm. there's going to be slowdowns. Right. You know, it, sorry. It, it, you know, part of it has to do with coordination. You said something really telling, Dave. You said, by the time it gets to me as the lawyer, you know, at the end of the pipeline, 
there's all these things that are wrong with it. And in the in IRWA's course 100, we talk about it being a team and the whole right, whole infrastructure professional being a team. And one of the things that would help this situation is to have lawyers like you involved earlier in the process so that you could say, wait, don't use that. Don't use that appraiser. He's a moron or right. wait, <laughs> or wait, they're doing something wrong, legally wrong with respect to a larger parcel or whatever. Same thing with us as review appraisers. We'd be getting asked more and more to not just do the review appraisal, but maybe to be involved in finding the appraisers or selecting the appraisers and coordinating it from the beginning. So, so you know, we can try to find appraisers that know what they're doing. We could maybe try to assign it in such a way that the right appraisers are doing the right kind of assignments that they might be more qualified to do. And you as an attorney, or even Kristen as a relocation person, if we all are working as a team, could say that. You could say, you know, the relocation people could say, well, you wait a minute, don't have that guy do all the housing appraisals. He doesn't really understand housing and it's going to make our relocation job tougher. Right. You know, yeah. and I mean, they, you and I, with you know, you've hired me as a consultant and I'm looking at the landowner's appraisals and telling you that all things are wrong with it. And I'm looking at the agency's appraisals and there's things wrong with those too. Right. I and know. you'd be a lot better off if you didn't have the agency appraisals have stuff wrong with them, but you're not involved and I'm not involved until that's done. That's right. And if you were involved earlier, I mean, even looking at the appraisal before it's finalized, you could say, wait a minute, you know, why aren't there any comps on the waterfront or whatever, or, you know, how come there's a marina in this appraisal that there isn't really a marina in this appraisal or something? You know, you know. <laughs> that's hits close to home, David. You know that. <laughs> yeah, that's an inside joke. But that was a landowner appraiser. Right, right. But I'm thinking if we were involved earlier and really working as a team the way the Course 100 teaches, it could solve part of that problem. Yeah. Because you're getting involved at the end of the day and you're dealing with problems you had no input, no control. I will say that if the agencies don't want to pay for lawyers early in the process, I will say that every dollar you spend on a qualified condemning authority attorney early in the process, you will make back tenfold, maybe 20-fold by the end of the process. You're a Fram oil filter. Remember that ad? You can pay me now. You pay me later. pay me later. All right. right? And they pay you 10 times later, right? That we're that's great observations. That's why we have you guys on the show. We're going to wrap up now, Brian. I'll give you the last word. Any closing thoughts after this episode? No, I'm hopeful. I think we're going to get through this period, and the industry is going to have to modernize a little bit and adapt. And I think we're going to we're going to do it. It's not going to be smooth, but we're going to get through it. And hopefully, at the end of the day, we'll get rid of a lot of the problems, like you know, so, some of the appraisal issues that are that were existing before we got to this point. And I, I think that is going to shake out. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. But other than that, thank you, guys. It was a pleasure being here. Thank Dave. you so much, guys. You are a delight as always. We appreciate you. David Burgoyne, Brian O'Neill, thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank Take you. Care. This is David Burgoyne, and I'm here with my partner in National Right-of-Way Review Appraisal, Brian O'Neill, and we have been enjoying recording this podcast with Dave and Kristen from Infrastructure Junkies Podcast. Great place to learn about infrastructure. And maybe if you listen to Dave, not such a good place to learn about oysters.